Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 21, please. Matthew chapter 21. Our world has changed over the last four weeks. On March 10th, I made a trip to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, for a Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches council meeting. It was a great day. The sun was shining and we just had a great time. I arrived back in Battle Creek about 4.30 in the afternoon to prepare for a time of meeting with our deacons and trustees. I always enjoy being with them and sharing with them because there's such an encouragement in the ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church. That evening, Preston reminded us of two truths about the church. Truth number one is that the church is a blessed family. And we are blessed because of the wonderful fellowship that we have here at Calvary Baptist. The other truth that he reminded us of is that the church is worth fighting for. Little did we know how that would come true in our lives. On Wednesday, March the 11th, things changed drastically. The coronavirus became public, and people were making decisions to try to stem the tide and protect us so that we didn't face the tragedy that others around the world were facing. On the 16th, Governor Whitmer made the announcement that the schools would be closed for a short period of time. And then on the 19th, we decided that we were going to have to do church differently. Just a couple of days later, on the 22nd, we had our first Calvary Baptist live and came to the realization that things indeed had changed. The next day, Governor Whitmer gave to us an executive order that required us to stay home and stay safe. And now this past week, she has made the announcement that all of our schools would be closed for the rest of the year. How quickly things change. As we examine the week before the cross, we discover that in Jesus' life, things very quickly, quickly change. In Matthew chapter 21, we discover how this week begins as we read, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, and he told them to go into a village and find a donkey and bring it to him so that he could make his entrance into Jerusalem. Now, it's important for us to understand where Bethpage is. And as you look at this map, you, decide, you discover very quickly its proximity to not only Jerusalem, but the Mount of Olives. And if you were to understand distances, you would find out that Bethpage is less than a mile from Jerusalem, from the temple, from the Mount of Olives. 
And that is the location that centers itself around the last week of our Lord. Verse 6 of Matthew chapter 21 says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colts and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Before we look into this text, I want to remind you of the events that took place. Beginning with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that would lead him to the cross. On Sunday, the text says that he left Bethpage and came to Jerusalem. And there it is where the crowds met him and declared, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I'll remind you that these crowds were gathered there to welcome the one that they thought would deliver them from the bondage of Rome. As you look at the rest of the events of the week, on Monday he cleared the temple. Luke chapter 9 says that he declared, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And there were many in the temple that day who were buying and selling that which could be used for sacrifices for the coming celebration of Passover. On Tuesday, we find him at the Mount of Olives. We call that the Olivet Discourse. A fig tree is cursed. Jesus' authority is challenged by the Pharisees. And he declares woe to them who are hypocrites, leading others astray. Wednesday, there is nothing recorded, and perhaps Jesus spent the day in in Bethany. Perhaps that was the day that Judas agreed to betray our Lord. Thursday was Passover celebration. And we read in the Gospels where Jesus met with his disciples, he washed their feet, and he prepared them for what was to come as he said, one of you will betray me. He then leaves that upper room goes to the garden and we see his great agony. Judas shows up with soldiers. Christ is betrayed and arrested. And it is the beginning of six trials, three of which are religious, three of which are political, that our Lord has to endure. Friday, he's brought before the crowds. They mock him, and they hang him between two thieves. 
Saturday is a day of silence. His followers are trying to determine what they should do. What all of this means to them. And on Sunday, Mary goes to the tomb, discovers that he is not there, runs and gets Simon Peter and John. And the declaration of the angel is, why seek you the living above the, among the dead? He is risen. I want now to back up to that triumphal entry. That Sunday when Jesus came to Jerusalem. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, they cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that set the whole city talking. The entire community was aware that Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee, had made his appearance. I think it's important for us to understand a, a little bit of background as the crowds were, were gathered. When Jesus entered Jerusalem some five days before the Passover, there was a cloud that hung over the nation of Israel. For the past 75 years, Rome had been in control of the country. That control would continue for another 100 years. In 37 B.C., Herod, known as Herod the Great, the son-in-law of Hymenius, was appointed king of Judah by the Romans. And that granted almost unlimited autonomy to rule and to direct the country's internal affairs. He became one of the most powerful monarchs in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Ten years after Herod's death, an event recorded in Matthew chapter 2, Judea came under the direct Roman administration of the government. And growing anger increased against the Romans as they suppressed Jewish life. There was sporadic violence which escalated into a full-scale report in 66 A.D. After that, the temple was destroyed. A catastrophe to the Jewish people. Under Rome's domination, the people were responsible for Registration to the law? We discover that in Luke's gospel where Mary and Joseph made the trip because all of the world was to be registered. They were also under Roman taxes and Roman dominance. 
Now, it's important to understand that Rome did give some authority to the religious leaders. But even they did not have free reign. In John chapter 18, the governors of Rome received a request from the Pharisees to put Jesus to death. And the reason that happened was because only the Roman government had the authority to put individuals to death. That brings us back now to his entrance into Jerusalem. And in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 21, we read this. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Jesus entered the, the, the city on a donkey. Many think it was a symbol of humility, but it was also a symbol of royalty. Zechariah chapter 9 is recorded in verse 5 of our text. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks before him. Others, branches. They put them so that he would have a path. The Feast of the Tabernacles was being celebrated and it identified the protection of God. Protection that was brought into the land. It was as if they were honoring a returning hero. And it was also to proclaim that they were subject to his rule. Hosanna. That was the cry of the crowd. And what they were saying is, save us. Deliver us. You are now our king. We submit to you and your authority. We beseech you. Come and relieve us of our oppression. Psalm chapter 118 gives to us the prophecy where Jesus would indeed be the stone of the corner the stone that the builders refused and all of his loyal subjects would be brought in and worship him in triumph we do this to honor the son of david hosanna in the highest it's important that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowds there, even under the dominance of Rome, recognized that he alone was the one who could deliver them and understood that this prophet was the one sent to save them. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. But there is another word that the crowd used to identify their response to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Blessed. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a word of happiness, a word of honor, a word of rejoicing. How wonderful that scene must have been as the crowd met and identified Jesus himself. They had heard of his teaching. Some of them perhaps had even been under the influence of his teaching. They had discovered his his power as he made the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. And now in their presence, he was entering Jerusalem to fulfill the wonder of God. Mark's gospel tells us, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, was what the crowds proclaimed. Blessed is he who comes. They were blessed because Jesus came in the name of the Lord. It could be translated that he was the one who came in the authority of Jehovah to do his will. He was set apart. He was sent into the world as mediator. And God the Father had declared his mission. Blessed, because the coming in the name of the Lord is worthy of all acceptance. And we ought to say, blessed is he that comes to praise him and to be pleased in him. Blessed is he For it is in him that we are blessed. Well, may we follow him with our blessings who meets with us. And we discover in verse 10 that his interest stirred up the whole city. I want you to make note of that because as we turn to Matthew chapter 27, we will will discover another stirring of the crowd but here the stirring was the acceptance the reception the wonder of the one who came in the name of the Lord turn now with me to chapter 27 of Matthew's gospel Matthew chapter 27 just a few short days have have passed Jesus went to the temple. He was confronted by the authorities. He was arrested. He was tried. And now the Roman authorities bring him to the crowds. Scripture tells us that It was the feast of the governor in verse 15. And at that feast, he was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner who they wanted. 
The text tells us that there was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now I want to stop right here and just remind you of the picture at Golgotha. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And I wonder if as Jesus was brought before that crowd, if that crucifixion was not already planned, perhaps these two thieves were followers of Barabbas. Perhaps the plan was to crucify Barabbas and his cohorts. Perhaps when Barabbas was released by the crowd, it was Jesus who took his place. Now Barabbas was one guilty of insurrection. He was guilty of robbery and murder. And Mark's gospel and John's gospel fills in those details. But I want you to now look at verse 20 of Matthew chapter 27. The scripture says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 1 I said that his entrance stirred up the crowds? Some translations tell us that the chief priests and elders stirred up the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. It was again the Roman governor who said, which of these two, Jesus or Barabbas? Do you want me to release to you? And the crowd cried, Barabbas! Pilate then said, what shall I do with Christ? And at the end of verse 22, they all said, let him be crucified. Words spoken by the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him, put him to death. Execute him in a Roman fashion. He's guilty of the charges laid against him. And at the end of verse 23, they declare again, let him be crucified. From Hosanna and blessed to crucify him. I think it interesting that the crowd recognized the seriousness of what they were doing. For in verse 24, Pilate washes his hands of the whole matter. And in verse 25, all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Does that strike you as it strikes me? They were so stirred up 
the mob mentality was such that they recognized that their decision would have consequences. And it would. But the consequences that they were thinking of did not reflect God's plan. As his only begotten son went to the cross and shed his precious blood in payment for your sins and mine. Hosanna. Blessed. Crucify him. So what do we do with these truths? What do we do with these words? Let me just share with you a couple of take-home truths so that you can apply them to your life. Truth number one, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how we find ourselves, we can praise our Lord. I would encourage you this week to read the last five psalms. Because each of these psalms reminds us to praise God for who he is. And that brings us to our second truth. Even when things seem out of control, our God has a plan. Jeremiah chapter 29 reminds us that his plan is for our good and his glory. In the past, not quite four weeks, things have certainly changed in our country and in our community. But even in the midst of that, God can be praised. Our Heavenly Father deserves honor, glory, and submission because of who He is. And even when things seem out of the control, our God is instituting his plan for our 